Our scripture reading today is from Acts 16, 16 through 24. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having been greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them out to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Shannon, for reading that passage for us this morning. Um, Rich Mullins has a line in one of his songs, Calling Out Your Name, where he says, The Lord takes by its corners this old world and shakes us forward and shakes us free to run wild with the hope. And I love that line, that image of God kind of the way that he shakes us forward into things that we wouldn't have gotten into, uh, things that kind of have this chain reaction uh, that we never would have anticipated. It makes me think of um, Lazarus, you know, Lazarus, the one who died and then Jesus rose, raised him from the dead. You know, there was a point where Lazarus got sick, uh, and we don't know what it was necessarily, maybe it started as a cough or maybe it was a, a fever or an ache in his abdomen. We, we really just don't know. But what we do know is that whatever it was got worse and then it got worse and it continued to get worse to the point where the people around him had seen the way these kinds of illnesses go, and they knew the writing was on the wall for him, and he wasn't going to live. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, had to deal with that. They had to tend to him, and they had to care for him. And they sent word to Jesus, this friend of yours. Let's see, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they hold this distinct, beautiful place in Scripture where they're not counted among the disciples of Jesus, the twelve, but they're very much his friends. They're people Jesus knew, probably knew all his life or for a lot of his life, probably stayed with them regularly. But Lazarus was Jesus' friend, and they, and they sent word to him, this, this, the one you love is sick, as in come heal him. And Jesus, the text tells us that because, Jesus said because he's sick, they, they, they stayed where they were, and he let Lazarus die. He didn't intervene. And then he shows up, and Mary and Martha are like, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. 
and Jesus tells, tells them, I'm the resurrection and the life. And you know the story. He goes to the tomb and he, and he tells them to open the tomb up and he calls Lazarus out. And he's been dead for four days now. They're like, he, he's, he's, a, he's a rotting corpse at this point. And Jesus says no, and he calls him out, and out comes Lazarus, and people lose their minds because this guy who, there was no question that he was dead, is now alive, and he's coherent, and he's with them. And then when you look at that passage and how that story unfolds, the raising of Lazarus became the event that made the chief priests and the religious leaders determine that Jesus needed to die. And from that point on, they said, we have to, we have to arrest Jesus and we have to, we, he has to go. Uh, they even made a plot to kill Lazarus. And it became the impetus for this plan to arrest Jesus and to have him crucified. And I think about that. It's even, it's even in the, the, tri- the, the triumphal entry story that the reason that all those people gathered on the hillside to praise Jesus, two of the gospels tell us it was because they heard what happened with Lazarus. And I think about that and I think, okay, we understand an aspect of this, that sometimes it just starts with a cough, it starts with an ache, it starts with, with something just not quite being right and it balloons into this trajectory that none of us would have ever imagined. And it's, and it's not just that way with like, illness, but it's that, it's that way with vocational struggles. It's that way with real relational struggles, that we all have these things in our lives that start and they seem so small and they maybe even seem so insignificant, and yet the most unexpected thing can trigger a life-changing chain reaction, like Lazarus waking up one day and just feeling a little bit off. In the text that we've read here, it's a slave girl who's owned by men who use her for profit. And it says she had a spirit of divination, uh, that she was, quote, a fortune teller. That phrase uh, in the original language conveys this idea that she would go into these trance-like fits. And she'd been following Paul around for days, announcing that he was the servant of the Most High God and that he was proclaiming the way of salvation. And all of that was true. That is what he was doing. And it calls to mind for me the the demon-possessed man who followed Jesus around, claiming that he was uh, the Holy One. We read about that in Mark 1. And what does Jesus do? Jesus expels that demon from that man. And what Paul does here in this passage is he follows suit, rebuking this one in the name of Jesus himself. And so his rebuke, Paul's rebuke, is very clarifying because he's he's doing it in the power of the name of Jesus Christ, who has all the power of the Most High God. I mean, Paul had tried to delay it. You saw it in the passage here that he he tried to delay acting on this, but eventually he just got annoyed (laughs) and uh, he rebuked the Spirit. Now, why would he wait why would, he, why would he not just do this right away? I think the reason is because we just need to look at how things went for Paul in the book of Acts, and you can start to see that Paul was used to the fact that they were often 
the center of disruption wherever they went in the towns that they visited. And that usually ended up with them having to move on. Sometimes it ended up with them being chased out of town. And Paul may have been just kind of hoping to avoid that or at least delay the uproar that did eventually end up happening. And when Paul cast out the slave girl, or when he cast out the demon from the slave girl, she lost her ability to tell fortunes. And this cost her owners a fortune. And this would not do. And so the jilted slave owners go to the authorities to bring charges against these men. But since the loss of income wouldn't really be enough to achieve much of a result in the justice system, they brought a different charge. And it was a charge that they believed would get results. And it was that Paul and Silas are Jews who are throwing the city into an uproar, advocating customs that are unlawful for Romans. Now this charge is a lie. (laughs) It is a falsehood. That's not what they were doing at all. And yet, it's what they said. Why would they say that? Because, Because of what Philippi was as a town. See, Philippi was a town that was settled largely by retired Roman soldiers. And they were very proud of their citizenship. And so this charge that these men were using their Judaism to disrupt the Roman way of life is a charge that his accusers believed would would be heard. And it was heard. Paul and Silas were seized, they were beaten, they were thrown into prison, and they were fastened in stocks. They were made an example of. And this text that we just read, it's telling us more than just a story. It's teaching us something about our God that although he moves in mysterious ways, nevertheless, he is the one who is moving in every circumstance that we might find ourselves in. So you may be in a circumstance right now where you feel like, I don't know what's happening. I don't know how this is gonna unfold. What we can take from this passage of scripture is that whatever situation you're in, God is the one who is moving And nothing can stop him from bringing about what it is that he intends to bring about. How we respond then in any given situation is deeply impacted by how much we truly believe this, that God is in the details. And so to see this, what I want to do is I want to keep reading. I want to read the rest of the story to see what happens from Acts 16, 25 to 39 because there's so much more to understand about what came of this demon-possessed slave girl following Paul around, telling telling everybody that he's sent by the Holy One of God and him casting this demon out and then being arrested. There's a chain reaction that is one of my favorite parts of the book of Acts, is the arrest of Paul and Silas. So let me read the rest of the story and uh, get into the rest of the story. It says this. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, 
All the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, by the way, if you're asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Here's an answer. Here's the answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported those words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go, therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. And the police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard the crowd, or when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And so they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. Okay. I love this. I love this. A demon-possessed slave girl is following Paul around, telling him he's a messenger of the Most High God. Paul casts the demon out. Her owners get them thrown in jail, and this is what happens. This is what happens. So Paul and Silas are sitting in prison, right? They must have been unusual prisoners. Why? Because of how they used their time. They didn't complain. They didn't strategize. They didn't protest their unjust treatment. Instead, they prayed and they sang hymns to God. And the text tells us the other prisoners were listening to them. That is a reminder, it's a gut check for me, that how we respond to adversity is watched in ways we may never know about. But for those claiming to have the hope of eternal life, to believe that the Lord takes by its corners this old world and shakes us forward and shakes us free, when your life is in danger, that hope should have some bearing on how you handle hardship. And so while they were singing, then an earthquake shook the place and it opened the cells and it loosed their stocks. And the jailer who had been sleeping, he awoke with the world crashing down on him. And he's like, no, 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 right? And, and then he came running and he sees that the cells are open. He concluded that the prisoners were gone. And being a Roman soldier, he knew the penalty for letting a prisoner escape was death. And so he prepared to take the penalty upon himself by falling on his sword. And then he heard the voice of Paul crying out, don't do it, we're still here. 
Now, that was a moment that must have been hard to describe for the jailer. Because here he is, he holds the highest authority in the room. And yet, he was also the most doomed man there. But in Paul's voice, he hears the voice of his salvation. If the prisoners have not fled, they have saved his life. And so it's an ironic twist that these prisoners who had been singing praise to God all night held the key to the jailer's salvation. He knew that the charge against Paul was flimsy. He knew that the transformation of the slave girl had happened. And he knew that Paul was somebody who was proclaiming the way of salvation. That's what the passage says. People said that these men came in power in the power of the Most High. And even in their darkest night, they praised God as if he alone was their salvation. And so, saved from death already, the jailer asks what he must do to be saved also unto eternal life in the presence of the Holy Most High God. And that is a question that has an answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. And then Paul and Silas spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. And then he brought them into his house. And he set food before him, before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire house that he had believed in God. And so they had this long conversation and they had food and they had fellowship. And the result was the jailer's conversion. And he and his family would then become part of the church in Philippi that was so dear to the Apostle Paul. This moment was the forging of a lasting bond of friendship and brotherhood. I just, <laughs> I love that. Meanwhile, the magistrates have decided to release Paul and Silas. What they didn't realize is that they had a tiger by the tail. We don't know if the jailer's home was in the prison complex or if after, the secure, after securing the other prisoners, the jailer took Paul and Silas outside of the jail into his home. But either way, Paul and Silas returned to the prison by morning. And then the jailer received the report from the magistrates. He was to release Paul and Silas. The idea being that they had learned their lesson and that they wouldn't cause any more trouble in Philippi. And so the jailer delivered the news, believing it was good news. Even adding, hey, you can go in peace to the end of it. Now, surely the magistrates would have heard the thinness of the accusation against Paul and Silas, but they had this issue of patriotism. Uh, they, their patriotism was at stake here in how they responded to these men who were accused of acting against Rome. 
And so they acted swiftly and they acted harshly, all for the glory of Rome and all for the education of any who would disrespect her. But they failed to consider one crucial detail, and that is what if, what if these men were in fact Roman citizens? What if they were Roman citizens? Well, that would mean they were exempt from any kind of formal public beating or imprisonment without a fair trial. Well, as it happened, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, meaning that the magistrates, ironically, had behaved in a decidedly un-Roman manner, violating the very honor of the Roman citizenship that they thought they were defending. Because there's a slave girl following Paul, saying he's a messenger of the Most High. All they wanted now was for Paul and Silas to just go away washing their hands of the debacle before news of it reached a higher court. And to this, Paul said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and they have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. No, let them come themselves and take us out. We will wait for our apology. Can you imagine Paul and Silas just hanging around the prison, waiting for their captors to come and escort them out? Just, it's kind of a funny scene, right? Like you can, you can picture, in my mind, the, the jail cell door is open, and they're just sitting on the inside, just waiting, because they're not going to budge until they have their apology. And now the magistrates are beginning to realize that in all of their bravado, they had accidentally caught a tiger by the tail. And letting Paul go would not be nearly as easy as apprehending him. Why did Paul insist on that apology? Why did Paul insist on that escort? Well, if he was doing it for spite, then he wouldn't have granted their ultimate wish that he leave town. But he did grant that. There was a deeper reason why Paul insisted on this. And it was a principle. There was a deeper reason why he insisted on receiving the best treatment to the full extent of what the law would allow. What was that reason? Paul knew he knew that the Lord was building his church in Philippi. And he knew that Christians everywhere were facing persecution. But here, Paul has a chance to bring some protection to the church. A precedent for how Christians would be treated was being set in Philippi with how Paul and Silas were being treated. And Paul recognized he had a role in determining what that treatment would be moving forward. 
And so invoking the fullest protection of Roman law to which he and Silas were due as a Roman citizen would establish that precedent and would make officials think twice before further persecuting Christians there. And so he said, let them come themselves and take us out. And that is exactly what they did. This is an amazing story. This is an amazing story of how God is in the details. Now, what do we do with a story like this? What's the truth to wrestle with here? Paul refused to leave that jail on principle. And it wasn't merely that as a Roman his rights had been violated and he wanted satisfaction. The principle is that there is no situation over which God does not rule. None. And it was not because of the sovereignty of the magistrate that Paul was in jail. It was because of the sovereignty of God that Paul was in jail. And so Paul was never a victim. And he wasn't a martyr, although he would be martyred. He was first a servant of the Lord, and God was ruling over every moment that he was in. And this is why when the gates swung open and the magistrate declared that the matter was settled, Paul did not. Because this was not their moment. It was God's moment. And it had far less to do with Paul's safety than protecting the bride of Christ in the future. Are we that different from Paul here when obstacles and opposition come our way? Because obstacles and opposition are a common part of serving the Lord with our lives. How do you respond to them when they come? Um, We live in a country where we don't experience this kind of thing very often. It's rare. But what do we do? How do we respond? Because what if the obstacles and the struggles and the opposition that we face are about something bigger than just us? What if we're part of a process where the Lord is advancing something in the world that needs to be advanced? And so we're caught in the switches sometimes when that's happening, but it's not ultimately really about us. It's about what God is doing in the world. What if there's something bigger than just us, whether in prison or in his release from it? Paul lived as though it was all God at work. See, there's no situation over which God does not rule. And so you may regard setbacks as times when you're taken out of action, as times when you are arrested in your service. But God rules over those moments too. And they're always about more than we see. They're always about more than we see. And yet we have the comfort of Scripture in knowing that It's okay if we can't see it. Mary and Martha didn't see it. They didn't have categories for this. They didn't realize that when their brother first had that cough or that ache that eventually became obvious, this is the kind of thing that kills people. And then they buried him. They couldn't see that Jesus was giving his friend the honor of being a primary catalyst for his crucifixion that whenever the story of the crucifixion of Jesus was told, 
which is always the story of the resurrection of Jesus too. That his friend Lazarus would be implicated and wound up in that story. What an honor to give Lazarus. God rules over the moments, even when we can't see it. And he's always doing more than we see. William Cooper wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. God is his own interpreter. there's, There's grace and purpose in everything that he does. Cooper again writes this further in that hymn, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. I pray that you would know this grace in your toughest trials, in the things that are happening in your life that you look at and you think, I have no idea why this is going as badly as it is. Or I don't know why this struggle seems like it has to be so hard. God is at work. He's at work in the details and he's doing exceedingly more than all that we could ask or imagine. That's what he tells us in Ephesians 3.20. And so I pray that you would know this grace in your toughest trials, knowing that you are never out of his providence or his control or his kindness. And may this be more than enough for us. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for stories like this one in scripture that have a, (laughs) such a beautiful dramatic arc where we see your power on display and we see the faith of your servant, Paul and Silas, trusting that you're at work, having the strength to plant their feet for the sake of those who would come after them, to defend and safeguard the safety of Christians who would live in that town later uh, by demanding justice. Uh, Father, we ask that you would show us what that looks like in our world, uh, in our situations, how to be used by you and how to desire to be used by you, even in difficult circumstances, to, to know that you're doing more than we know, that you are shaking us forward and you're shaking us free in the ways that you move. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We ask that you would bless our time as we come to your table to remember the, 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 the reach uh, and the cost of your redemption. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen.